Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Proverbs chapter 16. Chapter 16. So we're in a series called Becoming Wise. Uh, by the way, if you don't know me, my name's Stephen. Glad you're here this morning. And in this series, what we've been doing is talking about what it looks like to be a wise person. So the first four weeks were becoming wise, and the last two weeks, and then this week and next week, uh, we've like, kind of changed the subject, or the title anyway, to living wisely. And so how do we now take from becoming wise to actually walking in wisdom? And we've had a bunch of different charts in this series to help us live wisely. So we had a chart that had no discern and walk at the top. Uh, we posted that on Facebook for those of you who are asking for a copy of it, so you can go and grab those. Uh, and that's kind of just an outline of this series. And then we had the knowledge chart that showed the different ways in scripture that we obtain knowledge. And this week and last week are about discernment, so the application of knowledge. And this all comes out of our definition of wisdom, which is the humility to know, discern, and walk the best possible path. So wisdom starts with humility, submitting to God's authority. Then we obtain knowledge, then we apply the knowledge, which we call discernment, and then we actually walk out the wise way, which we'll talk about next week. Now, in discernment, this part of the series, this is crucial. See, before life's big decisions, there's a time of discernment. Whether it's a short amount of time or a long amount of time, whether you just quickly make a decision or you labor over a decision. And some of you, you're in that right now. You're laboring over a decision. And in that discernment process, after discernment, we walk a path, either the best path or the not best path. And so discernment is crucial. Discernment is when you begin to think things like, been in the marriage for 25 years. You're not happy. What do you do next? Marriage, or I'm sorry, discernment is when you start asking a question like, I, I've been in this job and it pays the bills, but I don't want to do this the rest of my life. What do I do next? Or if you're a high school student and you've evaluated all of your options after high school and you're asking, now what do I do next? Discernment is that process before you actually do the next thing. And so discernment is really important because it's typically the last thing before you make really big decisions in life. Some good, of course, and some bad. And so this morning, we're going to look at four questions, four questions to help us through the discernment process. But before I get into those four questions, let me give you a couple of verses that'll help set up the importance of discernment. Proverbs 16.21 says this, the wise of heart is called discerning. Just wanted you to show the Bible proving my point. The wise of heart is called discerning. Proverbs 16.22, discretion is a life-giving fountain to those who possess it, but discipline is wasted on fools. Discretion or discernment is a life-giving fountain to those who possess it. Those who have proper godly discernment will experience a fountain of blessing on the other side of it. When you show proper discernment, it produces things like peace and goodness and joy. 
Ah, but those who don't have discernment. Well, verse 25 of Proverbs 16, all of this, by the way, is wrapped up into Proverbs 16, a beautiful chapter written by King Solomon. Verse 25 says it most poignantly, what happens if we don't have discernment? When it says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. In other words, when you lack discernment or godly discernment, and you instead just take your own path, come up with your own way, don't work through the filter of godly discernment, it might seem right. It could seem like the best path. But the scripture tells us where it actually leads, death. Now, when we see the word death in the scripture like this, we don't mean actual death, like the end of your life. What it means is just destruction, despair, bad. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's bad. It's not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. So today, you can walk out of here. And you can walk the path that you think is best, the one that seems right to your reasoning and your logic and your understanding. You can do that. You have the free will to do that. Let me just tell you in advance where it ends up. Death. That's where it leads. We have here two options. One option leads to a life-giving fountain of blessing. The other leads to death. Now, when we just say it like that, it seems pretty easy which one we should choose. But it's never this easy, is it? In fact, we labor in this discernment process. We wonder, what is your will, God? What am I supposed to do? And so hopefully, this filter will help you in that. The four questions, here they are. Question one, does it agree with scripture? Question two, what does your conscience say? Question three, where will the decision lead? Question four, what does godly counsel say? It's important that we look at these sequentially, that they are a filter, that we move from one to two to three to four, that when we get them out of order, it can actually create chaos. The order matters. And this is the order that scripture teaches us to walk through in this way. Now, let me also tell you this. If you were to look at this as like a filter leading down to the final questions, the first one is supposed to weed out the most horrible of decisions. The quicker you exit, the more blessing there is. The further you go down as you disobey or um, disregard maybe a better word, typically the worse it is at the end. Let me say it a different way. If scripture really says, don't do this, but you force your way through that part of the filter on down, you're setting yourself up for failure. Let's look at the questions individually. By the way, as we enter into this, we have to do so with a deep trust that our heavenly father wants us on the best path, the path that is most submitted to his will. We have to have an understanding of a good God who loves us, 
like children, like his own children, who would never want his children to walk down a path that leads to death. So question one, does it agree with scripture? Proverbs 16.1, right at the beginning of our chapter here, says it this way. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Does it agree with scripture? This first question is supposed to eliminate a lot of potential options in life in such a way that it protects us. It's a way that God gives us to, to stop us from walking down paths that could lead to death. Does it agree with scripture? Let's give an example. One potential example could be this. Let's look at marriage as an example. Now, as I'm speaking, I'm only talking to those, or in this example, who are not currently married, right? So pre-marriage. What does scripture teach us? Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. In other words, don't marry somebody who, who doesn't share your love of Christ. And if you shouldn't marry a person who doesn't share your love with Christ, then you shouldn't pre-marry them, right? Which we call what? Dating and engagement. And so the, right at the top, the scripture teaches us does it agree with scripture? Should I marry somebody who's not in Christ like I am? No. So I don't go down the filter. I end. That leads to life. If you keep going, you might have all of your good reasons on why you should keep going. You might. Let me tell you where it ends. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. God's warning you at the beginning. Does it violate scripture? If we see that it does and we step out, it saves us. Marriage is just one example. There's a lot in scripture. There's a lot that it's setting up to protect us. Now, even as we work through the filter, there's always a countercultural or a counterfeit, actually a better way of saying that, a counterfeit approach that the world tells us to take. Scripture says, here's the first question. Does it agree with scripture? The counterfeit approach says this. What does your heart say? Or follow your heart. That's the counterfeit approach. Jeremiah says a lot about the heart, mostly that it's deceitful and wicked. We love to say, well, you're making an important decision. Follow your heart. Well, look at, let's look at this marriage. What's your heart going to say in that situation? But I love this person but we can make it work. That's what your heart says. The world says, follow your heart. What does scripture say? There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. Follow your heart is bad advice. Our aim as Christians is not, what does my heart say? My aim as a Christian is first, what does scripture say? We start with that first. We're careful about following our heart. Why? Because our heart has a tendency to trick us. That's why God gave us a book, a scripture, his word to help us. Question two. Question two. So that's question one. So maybe your decision, if we've moved on to question two, it's because your decision is not violating scripture. 
And so if it's not violating scripture, then you can move on. Then you move on to question two, because you're still trying to figure out, right, what's the wise thing to do. So here's question two, right? Because not everything's in the Bible. It doesn't tell you where to go to college in the Bible. And, and there's also many people who are probably uh, taking our same example of marriage. They might be a Christian. You might be a Christian. Just because you're both Christians doesn't mean you should get married. We're bringing back arranged marriages. Who's in? That was a joke. Don't tell people that. Okay. Question two. What does your conscience say? Proverbs 16.2 says it this way. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. And where does that come from? Our heart, right? All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. We are really good at talking ourselves into things that we know aren't right. And oftentimes at first, it does violate our conscience. And so then what we do is a bunch of conscience gymnastics in order to feel better about the decision. And scripture says, or God tells us through this verse, no, the Lord is actually weighing what's going on underneath. Even if you uh, take your conscience and, and, and it feels like you vi- you're violating it within your action, uh, God really knows what's going on underneath, which takes us back to Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. We don't want to be on that path. We want to be on the path that involves the life fountain or the, the blessings, the fountain of life. So how do, we, how do we evaluate our conscience? Sometimes it's easy. Our conscience just strikes us and we go, yep, I know I shouldn't be doing this. It may not even violate scripture, but your conscience is still going off and saying, stop, 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 or go, go, go. Two questions that are um, helpful in this, helpful in this, and helping us examine our conscience. Because what it's really asking is about the motive underneath. Question one, is this decision rooted in impure motives? Is it rooted in impure motives? Greed, vengeance, anger, mean-spiritedness, bitterness, selfishness, lust. The particular decision may not violate scripture, but then when you realize why you're engaging in it, you see that deep down there's really an impure motive that's driving the decision. And if an impure motive is driving the decision, that's a reason to abandon the decision or at least to stop and to take care of that impure motive that's driving you. As an example, um, somebody asked me the other day about something I used to do, um, nothing sinful, right? And they just said, hey, can you help me learn this particular thing? And I said, no, I can't. And they said, well, why not? I said, because whenever I get involved in that, it's just not good for me. It's not sinful. Uh, it's not evil. And you might be really good at it, but when I step back into that little world, it's not a good thing for me because it's driven by an impure motive. And so I'm just going to go ahead and step out of it. And I'm not going to tell you you can't do it because it might not be a bad thing for you. It's just a bad thing for me. See, when you get to this level, we're not necessarily talking about is it sinful or is it not sinful? We're asking is it wise or is it unwise? And the motive underneath can dictate whether or not it's wise or unwise. 
Another question you can ask yourself when you're trying to do this is, will this decision in any way deter me from walking in integrity and pursuit of God? Like, if I walk down this path, is it taking me closer to God or further away? If I walk down this path, is it going to tempt me uh, to, uh, to do something that lacks integrity? Because then your conscience is going to be going off the whole time after you've made the decision, which means you should have just never walked down the path in the first place. Should answer that. So question one, what does scripture say? Counterfeit question, follow your heart. Question two, question two, what does your conscience say? Here's the counterfeit in question two. Are you at peace about it? I once had somebody say to me, you know, we're just not at peace about serving right now in our church. I just looked at them and said, what does that even mean? I'm not at peace. No, you just want to sleep in. That's what that means. You, we're not at peace or not at peace about following the scripture in, in engaging in our church family. right? I'm just giving you an example. Well, a lot of times we use peace as an excuse to do what we want. Now, there is a peace that passes all understanding, right? There is the peace that I prayed about earlier that guards our heart in the midst of difficulty and trial. That's not the same peace of I use peace as a reason not to do the right thing. There are many times when it's not peaceful to forgive somebody. That doesn't feel peaceful. But scripture says forgive as you've been forgiven, not forgive if you feel at peace about it. When Christ went to the cross, he was sweating blood. He was praying for another way. That was anything but peaceful. Had he been at peace, he probably wouldn't have been sweating blood. But it was the right thing. So our quest is not, do I feel at peace about it? Our quest is, is it the right thing? Is it the godly thing? Don't use peace as an excuse not to do the right thing. All right, question three. Remember, we're working our way through the filter. And so if you've arrived at question three, then it doesn't violate your conscience and it doesn't violate scripture and you're still trying to figure out what to do. We've all been here. Here's question three. Where will it lead? Where will it lead? This is the beauty of forecasting. This, I think, is often the one um, that we use the least, but is very helpful. It's stopping and asking the question, if I walk down this path, where does it end up? And maybe my greatest act of college age discretion. I remember being a freshman in college, and everyone on my football team was joining a frat. Now, the school I was going to at the time, there was only three frats. And so I looked at everyone on my team, and I saw them, and I knew which one and which frat they were all in. And so I asked myself, self, which one of these juniors and seniors do you want to be most like when you're a junior or senior, knowing what frat they were in? And so I looked, and my conclusion was pretty clear. None of them. <laughs> I want to be like none of them when I'm a junior and senior. Therefore, not joining a frat. Asking the question, where does it lead, 
gives us a moment to stop and to say, okay, this decision isn't sinful. It doesn't violate my conscience. But let's play this out a little bit. What happens if I do this? Proverbs 16, 17, and 18 says it this way. The highway of the upright, or the wise, turns aside from evil. That phrase, turns aside, by the way, is very close to the term used for repent. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So what is the text saying? Well, it's saying that the upright or the wise person turns uh, away from evil. They guard themselves so as to preserve life. Not the death in 25, but the life-giving fountain earlier in 21. It's an important question. Where will it lead if I do this? What happens in three years if you take the job? What happens next month if you date the person? What does your family look like in two years if you don't work through the marital problems? Or 20 years? What does it, how does it affect your life in your 30s if you go $60,000 into school debt in your 20s? Asking yourself the question, where does it lead? If I follow this path, where will I end up? Now, the wise person forecasts, sees the evil down the road, and goes, I don't want to walk that path. The wise person turns off immediately once they see where it might lead. What does the fool do? Well, it says pride becomes before the fall. So what's it saying? This verse made a lot more sense to me after seeing the connection to the previous verse. The prideful person goes, oh, I can walk down this path and it won't affect me like everybody else. The fool is 18-year-old Stephen saying, I can join that frat and not end up like those guys. The, the fool says, well, I can uh, date this person and it won't affect my purity, right? And the fool says, no, I can do it even though it's tripped everybody else up and I'll be okay. Well, scripture says, yeah, nope, that'll lead to a fall. Pride comes before the fall, thinking you can walk the path that has led to everyone else's death, but you can do it the best way. That'll lead to a fall. Ask yourself, where will this lead? Let's get a little more practical. If Tinder leads to bad dating choices, don't download the app. If a glass of wine leads to drunk texts to your ex, don't buy the bottle at Kroger. If watching the show leads to lustful thoughts or tendencies, pick another show. If getting on Instagram leads to jealous feelings, throw your phone away. If watching the Lions leads to throwing things at the TV, just keep on doing it. We enjoy your misery. You get the point. Make a pre-decision. Make a pre-decision that will lead to life. Remember, on the other side of good discernment is life. On the other side of bad discernment is death. Where will it lead? Question four. Question four. So if we've made it to question four, 
It doesn't violate scripture. It doesn't violate your conscience. And you've walked out where it will lead. And you think, okay, 50-50, I got at least a 50-50 chance of it leading somewhere good. If uh, the question or the answer to where will it lead is like nine out of 10 times, it's bad. Don't walk down that path. Like just knowing where it will lead is not the answer, right? Seeing where it will lead and then diverting as a result or continuing to walk. So now, as you've worked your way through the filter, doesn't violate scripture, right? Doesn't violate your conscience. It can lead to somewhere good, but you're still unsure. You still don't exactly know should you or should you not. Fourth question, what does godly counsel say? What does godly counsel say? Proverbs 16, 20 says it like this. I actually need that. Proverbs 16, 20 says it like this. Those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who listen to instruction will prosper. I am all for prospering. I know we've said the best path isn't always the most prosperous path, isn't always the glamorous path, right? We, you know, I warn you of the prosperity gospel often, right? I'm not against prospering. We don't have a poverty gospel, right? We don't have a uh, life has to be bad if you're a Christian gospel. Prospering is fantastic, We don't mind it, but we want to make sure we do it with a proper understanding. We don't use God as a vending machine to give us what we want. But those who listen to instruction will prosper. Well, that sounds great. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful, prospering and joyous. Amen. What does godly counsel say is the question. Now, we've talked about godly counsel a lot. Here's what we've said in the past, just in case you weren't here. You can obtain information from as many people as possible. So you ask the question like, hey, what can you teach me about blank? And sometimes people are going to tell you good things, and sometimes they're going to tell you bad things. That's in the information gathering process. Last week, other advices on counsel was limit your advisors and choose your advisors carefully. All of those things are still true. You should limit your advisors. You should choose them carefully. But often we get to a point now where we've worked through the first three questions and we have to ask, well, what, is other pe- what do other people think? What does godly counsel say? This is the point where we look at somebody in our life and we say, what do you think I should do? You don't want to ask everyone that question. You'll get a lot of bad answers. Now, at this point, you're looking in, you're saying, hey, what should I do? Or if you were me, what would you do? So who do we ask? How do we find these people? I want to give you three questions, a lot of questions today. Three questions that'll help you when picking the right people to ask the question, what should I do? Here's question one. You're asking yourself this, not them. Have you had an adequate amount of time to evaluate their character? Do you know you're asking somebody of godly character? We can meet somebody very quickly, all of a sudden have a trust in them, ask them what we should do, and it could lead us astray. Have an adequate amount of time to really trust the character of the person that you're asking. Question two, are they either living what you want to experience, or do they display repentance and proper healing on how they took the wrong path? 
I think both of those are important. Let me clear up if that seems muddy a little bit. You want to ask people who are living in a way that you want to live. And so if you're going to ask for marital advice, ask for someone who use marriage you look at and think, I would, I would like to have that. Now, I put the other part in there, too, because sometimes you hear things like this. People say, well, don't ask a divorced person how to have a healthy marriage. No, there's probably a lot of divorced people who could give you great advice on how to have a healthy marriage, which is why you do the second part. Do you see that there's a, a, they have learned or there's, uh, there's a, either a repentance if that's necessary or um, through that, God might have pressed them down and changed them and equipped them and made them very wise. But do you see the change? Easiest example of this is, you know, I, I mentioned Dave Ramsey a lot, but uh, people would say, well, don't take advice from somebody who went bankrupt. Well, no, he's a pretty good person to take advice from, even though he went bankrupt about personal finance. Why? Because he allowed it to change him, and you can see that. And so as you're looking in, take advice from the people who you either see the transformation of what failure did to them, or you see that they're succeeding in what you want to succeed in. Question three, are they really for you or are they for you as long as it is for them? That's question three on who you should ask. Easiest example about this is like if you were in a work situation and you went to your boss and said, hey, I've got this other option on the table. What do you think I should do? Well, if they're not for you, what are they gonna do? If you're making them money, they're gonna spin the greatest story on why you staying is the best thing. Why? Because they're not for you. They're only for you if it's for them. And so you want to find people who are really for you. They're for you, not for you, for them. So that brings us to the end of our questions. There are still decisions, and some of us even have walked through this filter not even knowing it existed like this, and are still like, well, what do I do? I still don't exactly know what to do. So maybe for some of you, going back to the top and working your way through the filter will help. And see the two paths, On one hand, you have this, what does scripture say? What does my conscience say? Where will it lead? What does godly counsel say? There's a path there. Then there's another path where we go, what does my heart say? Am I at peace about this? Who needs to think about the future? I'm not going to listen to godly counsel. I'll pick my friends who will tell me exactly what I want to hear. And it leads to death. And sometimes when we just lay it out clearer like that, it's helpful for us to see how do I walk the best possible path? One side leads to life-giving blessings. The other side leads to death. Well, let me give you two more verses, just in case you're still a little nervous. Proverbs 16.33 says this, the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. It's one of those verses where you get to the end of the chapter and you say, did that really need to be in there, God? In essence, what it's saying is, make your best decision and God is still in control. It doesn't say that we shouldn't walk through the process of wisdom. It's not saying that we shouldn't apply discernment. It's saying that even as we walk through the process, we still get to trust that God knows exactly what he's doing. We've all made poor decisions, and we can all look back at some unwise decisions. I'm not talking about sinful decisions. I'm just talking about unwise decisions. And it wasn't the best path. 
but we can still see how God was faithful in it. And so that gives us comfort in this. There's another verse that as you're making these decisions, these big decisions in life should give you comfort. Proverbs 16.6 says this, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Here's what it's saying. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By consistent good behavior, by showing love, by doing the right things, it makes up for the bad decisions that we've made. I hope some of your alarms are going off right now. That's bad theology. There are a lot of wrong decisions or bad things that happen in life that no amount of good behavior can fix. And you can try the rest of your life, and some of you are, and it's exhausting. But this proverb has to be true. So let's read it again. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. That is true. But if it's not your steadfast love and faithfulness, and it's not mine, then whose is it? It's Jesus's. And so right here in Proverbs 16.6, the author writes in the gospel, and he reminds us in this chapter all about our decision-making, that in the end, Christ, steadfast love and faithfulness will pay the penalty, the ultimate death of all the sin and all the mistakes that we make. So Christ, steadfast love and faithfulness took on the death at the end of the one path so that you and I could have the life-giving fountain of relationship with him on the other path, despite despite our sin. Said another way, Christ was walking the perfect path to the life-giving fountain at the end, and we were walking the path that led to death, and then Christ switched for us. And he put us on the life-giving path, and he took the path that led to death so that you and I could experience the life-giving fountain of blessing that he deserved. That's the gospel. And so even in this chapter, it's all about the decisions that you and I make. Even in this chapter, that's all about us having proper discernment, which we should have. The writer makes sure we know two things. God is in control. And Jesus already took care of the ultimate death that our path was leading to. Just to remind us that we're loved. I know many of you are facing big decisions in life or small ones. I hope this will be helpful for you. I hope you choose wisely because on the other side of wise decisions is life, blessing, and it flows out to those around you, your kids, your spouse, your friends. If you are on the wrong path right now, you know you violated scripture. You know you violated your conscience. The quicker you abandon the path that leads to death, the better it's going to be. Don't try to talk yourself into fixing it. If you know where the path ends, there's no reason to try to fix the path on the way there. So get off. Come back to the right one. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.